This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. And welcome to this Monday edition of Greg Kelly Reports. I'm Joe Pinion, filling in for Greg this evening. Well, folks, this was a pretty tense Christmas. Many Republican households almost feels as if we barely stopped to give thanks for the birth of our Lord and Savior before many of us dove right back down that political rabbit hole. Do you want Donald J. Trump or Ron DeSantis in 2024? Would Carrie Lake or Christy Nome make a better vice president? And of course, the most pressing issue of the day. Is it possible that Congressman-elect George Santos is actually Santa Claus? Well, if hearing me say all of this out loud sounds ridiculous, you are correct. Because that is how many conservatives sound right now. Ridiculous. America is falling apart. Republicans are in complete disarray. Democrats are working overtime to rig the deck in 2024, long before Republicans ever get to convention, much less choose a nominee. How? All right, well, follow me here. On November 21st, while Republicans were hard at work in Georgia trying to rescue Herschel Walker, and while Mitch McConnell was on your TV trying to play pin the blame on Donald, something staggering happened. You see, the FCC approved a $60 million cash purchase of 18 radio stations across 10 states by a startup linked to the George Soros-aligned fund, Lakestar Finance. Now, that might seem innocent, almost unimportant. Didn't video kill the radio star? But until you realize, of course, this newly formed Latino media network with one stroke of the pen now had the power to reach one-third of the entire Hispanic population in the United States of America. Overnight, they had a presence in eight of the top 10 Latino markets in the country. Overnight, they now have the ability to reach 20 million Hispanic listeners a day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to tell them whatever it is they have on their hearts. San Antonio, Texas, Las Vegas, Nevada, Miami, Florida, just to name a few. Do these sound like the kinds of places where it might be important for Republicans to do well? Let's put this in broader perspective. Less than two weeks after Ron DeSantis became the first Republican statewide candidate to win Miami-Dade, Florida, since 2002, all while this border crisis by Biden continues to spiral out of control, Democratic operatives effectively got the stamp of approval to buy one-third of the Hispanic radio market, including one of the oldest anti-communist Cuban exile radio stations in South Florida. Now, to be clear... The Latino media network is not owned by the Democratic Party or George Soros, but they might as well be. Co-founder Stephanie Valencia served on the Biden-Harris transition team and was also a special assistant to President Barack Obama. Her partner, Jess Morales Roqueto, she founded the left-wing group Coven and worked quite literally hand-in-hand with Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign in 2016. 
And let's not forget, of course, Eva Longoria, the actress famous for Desperate Housewives and now more duly noted for her left-wing activism from the Latino Victory Fund to now her regular appearances on the Democratic National Convention stage. Because, of course, this is the perfect picture of the nonpartisan groups you would want taking over a third of the Hispanic radio landscape. So honored to be here tonight, and I am proud to say I'm with her. If you know your history, Texas used to be part of Mexico. Now, I'm ninth generation American. My family never crossed a border. The border crossed us. So, so when Donald Trump calls us criminals and rapists, he's insulting American families. You see, the Democrats are not waiting to figure out who their nominee is going to be in 2024. They could care less who we plan on nominate, though they're going to chuckle all the way to the bank, no matter who we nominate. They have targeted a key demographic, and they're going to tell our story on our behalf, all while we sit around arguing who gets to play the lead in our rendition of the bold and the beautiful. So unless you want this guy to be your president for another four years, well, I think we probably need to get our act together, folks. I sincerely hope this holiday, this holiday season will drain the poison that has infected our politics and set us against one another. We're going to need to get our acts together, folks. Go on offense to fight off these socialists before they scare off the voters we need to save the nation that we love. So where does that leave the state of our politics today? Well, Republican infighting over the presidential nominee, Speaker of the House, you name it. Uh, Democrats slipped in nearly $2 trillion worth of spending. But maybe there is hope that will save us from this insanity. Listen here to what Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy had to say about this ridiculous bill passed on Friday. This is a monstrosity that is one of the most shameful acts I've ever seen in this body. The appropriations process has failed the American public, and there's no greater example of the nail in the coffin of the greatest failure of a one-party rule of the House, the Senate, and the presidency of this bill here. Joined now by Congressman Buddy Carter of Georgia, member of the House Budget Committee and Energy and Commerce Committee. Congressman, always good to see you. Look, what are your thoughts on this? Obviously, the American people know when they've been had. They are printing money like drunken sailors. They've actually given drunken sailors a bad name. How do we actually get out of this insanity, put the dollars back in the pockets of the American people and get to work on making this nation great again? Well, Joe, Kevin McCarthy, the next Speaker of the House of Representatives, is spot on. This is a monstrosity. I mean, this is ridiculous what has been passed here. We've got to get back to regular order. We've got to get back to passing a budget. We've got to get back to, to, to meeting the deadlines that have been set. And we've got to get back to fiscal responsibility. We are the guardians of the taxpayers' funds. When will we understand that? We cannot continue to run the deficits that we are running now. This is intergenerational theft that we are committing here with our children and our grandchildren. You know, next year, 
the interest on our debt will be the third highest line item in our budget, surpassing what we're spending on defense. The number one responsibility of the federal government is to protect our homeland. We're going to spend more money on the interest on our debt than we are on defense, on protecting our homeland. It is simply ridiculous. And Kevin McCarthy is right. And I, I have to tell you, with all due respect to my friends at the state level, and I love them, they do a great job, they balance their budget. But let me ask you something. I, I've watched these states, they, they pound their chest and they say, oh, I balanced my budget, I suspended the gas tax. Oh, I've got $2 billion in, in surplus. Oh yeah, where'd you get that money from? You got it from the federal government. I mean, it's a case of I'm okay, you're okay. Well, guess what? I'm not okay. We've got to do something here. We've got to stop this federal spending. It is out of control. The federal government is too big. Well, absolutely. I think to that point, look, Friday, Congress passed a $1.7 trillion spending bill. Uh, the Democrats, they say it benefits the American people. Meanwhile, I mean, we're sitting here, uh, to your point, with a border crisis that is completely out of control. We have more gotaways than we know what to do with, eclipsing the population of some major cities in this country. And yet that same bill that they are touting effectively prevents us from doing the work of securing that border. Uh, how is it that we can get sanity back? on the table here. Are there any Democrats with any common sense left in their mind that recognize, to your point, our first obligation to the people that call this nation home, safety and security for them and their families? You know, we, we've got money, or I shouldn't say we, they have money in this omnibus bill to protect the border of Egypt, to protect the border of other countries, but not to protect our border. Makes no sense whatsoever. This administration continues to set records. Unfortunately, they're not good records. The record for the highest inflation since 1980, the record for the, the most illegal crossings on our border, all sorts of bad records that we're seeing here. The record for the amount of debt that this country has. Those are not the kind of records that you want to you want to set, but they're continuing to set them. Joe, I can't go without mentioning this. You said earlier that the federal government spends like drunken sailors. I made the mistake of, of saying that at one of my town hall meetings, and I was corrected by a veteran, by a sailor, who told me, he said, wait just one minute now. When I was a drunken sailor and I ran out of money, I quit drinking. When y'all <laughs> run out of money, you print more. Well, he look, right. to that I point, uh, you know, buried in the fine print, there's money there to name a building after Nancy Pelosi. My thought process is, if you've been there long enough for them to start using public dollars to name buildings after you, you've probably been there too long. Uh, to that point, you have President Biden now uh, getting ready to announce most likely a 2024 bid sometime in the new year. Uh, how do we prepare uh, to make sure that we have a concise message that gets uh, the point across, that we have record levels of withdrawals, hardship withdrawals from 401ks, we have record credit card debt, uh, we have families that quite literally cannot afford to keep the house they made a home. How do we boil that message down to ensure that we win what will be one of the most consequential presidential elections we've had in quite some time? I think we lead by example. And what we do is that we go, get back to regular order. We get back to protecting the taxpayers' money, to being guardians of the taxpayers' money. That's what we are supposed to be in Congress. That's what Congress is about. And, and, and if we don't do that, if we don't follow through on our commitment to America, that is to protect our homeland, to make American economy strong, to, to, to make sure that we're protecting our country, to make sure that we have a future based on freedom, to make sure that we have a government that's accountable 
accountable, that we're doing oversight. We can do all of those things. We're right on message. We are right on policy. We only have to communicate it and articulate it well. And the people will understand that the Republican philosophy, the Republican policies are the right policies that will carry us into the future and a bright future it will be. Look, I just have to ask again, uh, not to put you on the hot seat, but here we are in the aftermath of Christmas, uh, where again, uh, people went to the polls, voted for Republicans to put America first, to balance the budget. How do we actually get that done when we seem to have so many Republicans uh, willing to play this go-along-to-get-along game in the hopes that people uh, who effectively call us everything but a child of God will somehow come to the table as fair arbiters in the name of doing what's right for the people. Look, we have got to come together as Republicans. We've got to elect Kevin McCarthy as our next Speaker of the House, and he will be the next Speaker of the House, and he's going to be a great Speaker, let me tell you. But we've got to come together in the Republican Party. We can no longer be divisive. We've got to, sh we've got to make sure we're on the same page and that fiscally, we return fiscal sanity to Washington, D.C., we wouldn't run our budgets like this at home. We don't run our budget. Many of us came from the state legislatures. We didn't run a state budget like this. And yet we get to Washington and all of a sudden everybody goes crazy and spends money like a drunken sailor. Absolutely. It seems like a little history repeating. Uh, 2008, here we come, possibly worse, uh, but at least we have individuals like yourself on the case. Congressman Buddy Carter, as always, my friend, Merry Christmas. So good to see you. Uh, I'll see you again soon. Thank you. All right. Coming up. We have China, Russia, North Korea all continuing to escalate their situations with enemies around the globe. Tensions are rising. Will the Biden administration meet the challenge or will they effectively continue to lead from behind? All of that coming up next. You don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. All right. Tensions rising aggressively uh, between China and Taiwan. Within the last 24 hour, Chinese military has sent 71 warplanes, seven ships uh, towards Taiwan. Uh, this accident reportedly in response to Taiwan related provisions within a U.S. annual defense spending bill that was passed uh, this past Saturday. Let's bring in our next guest to talk about all of this. Senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation and former deputy national security advisor uh, to President Trump, uh, Victoria Co. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, look, uh, up is down, left is right. Um, it appears to many President Biden inviting uh, problems with Taiwan without actually giving uh, the support necessary. How do we view this latest aggression and what can we expect, expect from a Biden administration that appears to be feckless when it comes uh, to our response to threats around the globe? Well, Merry Christmas, Joe. Good to be with you. Uh, it, you know, I think there are a couple of things going on in Asia right now that we need to pay attention to at the same time. And one is this aggression against Taiwan. The other is the action in North and South Korea on the Korean Peninsula. There are those in Washington who will tell you, oh, China can't really control North Korea. I actually think that's utterly untrue. North Korea doesn't exist without China. So what we have right now is China basically showing Washington that they can open up two fronts, one in Taiwan, one in South Korea, that would distract us from what uh, the Biden administration is pledged to do in Ukraine. So clearly you are seeing this, this concerted effort 
begin to develop in Asia, and it demands our immediate attention. Absolutely. I think to that point, uh, people often forget where we had the uh, two-war doctrine. I think it's uh, overlooked some t so many times. Uh, what happens if we end up having to end ourselves in a conflict with China and Russia at the same time, uh, with North Korea doing whatever they please? So I, I think, how do you think we can navigate uh, these issues where you have Russia now coming to the table saying that they could potentially be willing to negotiate uh, what some have called an end to the aggressions in Ukraine, at the same time, uh, perhaps what Putin thinks is negotiating is not the same thing as what the media would like to think negotiations actually look like. Well, and this is one of the few pieces of good news uh, in my in my portfolio that we've actually gotten recently. I, I generally am a messenger of disaster, so I'm, I'm happy to see Putin starting to change his rhetoric a little bit. And it's why it was so disappointing to see President Biden use President Zelensky of Ukraine as a political pawn last last week to try to stuff through this $1.7 trillion abomination of an omnibus because he ginned up support for Ukraine because he forced Zelensky to come and give that speech to Congress. I found that just a terrible embarrassment. Uh, and I think had Zelensky come in two weeks when he could have had a Republican speaker behind him, he could have met with Republicans in Congress answered their questions, I think it would have made the case to the American people why, within reason, supporting Ukraine is an important thing to do, because we can't just let go of that conflict even while we are paying attention to Asia. So I think what you're seeing is the White House playing politics with, G with our national security in order to get their domestic spending bill passed. Absolutely. Now, you talked about North Korea earlier. Uh, we had the five drones that were sent into South Korea's airspace today. Uh, what happens, again, to your point, if we find ourselves uh, in all these proxy wars where uh, Russia is engaged in conflict with Ukraine, which becomes a proxy uh, for what happens with China? Uh, well, we saw what happened in the Middle East, the collapse that we had uh, in Afghanistan, where we now have China being the underwriter for the Taliban. Uh, that continues now. And so it appears to me and to many uh, that we are facing China on every front uh, in everything but name. How do we you know, basically uh, untie that knot, so to speak, and make sure that we can actually start uh, being effective in all of these various areas? Because from the outside looking in, it appears that we're spending a lot of money, but not making a lot of progress. Well, and I think that in, in Ukraine, just to keep this short of a 30-minute answer, uh, in Ukraine, that is the key thing. We need clarity from President Biden. What is your strategy? Why are we spending? We're now at $100 billion for Ukraine. Uh, and, and are we going to win this war? Are we going to help Ukraine win this war? What, what is your ultimate goal? And he won't tell us. It's just as long as it takes, as much as it takes, and until you tell me what it is, that's not a strategy. Well, and so I think, no, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I think to that point, I mean, we have to ask ourselves the question, what does victory look like? What does success look like? Whether we're talking about Kim Jong-un, whether we're talking about China, whether we're talking about Putin, from your perspective, uh, does it appear the Biden administration has a plan with any of these various in uh, interests uh, that we're trying to face? No, they don't have a plan. And I think for in terms of China being our greatest strategic foe, and I think the vast majority of Americans understand that is our key problem. In both Russia and North Korea's case, what we need to say to China is, okay, these are the people that you are bankrolling. So if 
God forbid Putin uses a nuclear weapon, if God forbid North Korea makes an intolerable, aggressive incursion into South Korea, that sticks to you, Beijing. That, that's not happening independent of you. And I think particularly in the case of a nuclear weapon use in, in Ukraine, that can be put to Beijing in very stark terms that will give them pause. Absolutely. I think before we go here, obviously, we often say we have a 24-hour news cycle. China, they have a 100-year plan. When you look at all of these things that we've just talked about, now you add in the component of the fentanyl crisis that is facing America. Obviously, we make no fentanyl here in America. That fentanyl is coming from China. Uh, put all of this in perspective, right? Almost this dual nature, almost a psychological warfare uh, that also uh, effectively erodes the trust here at home while we're still facing the very real threats of nuclear war abroad, facing the very real threats of destabilized regions abroad. How do you uh, put all of that together for our audience here? Well, I would just say, I mean, a number of topics that we wouldn't have considered national security topics 10 years ago now are, and that includes not only energy and information, but also immigration. And so for the fentanyl issue that you raised, this is why the na southern border is a key national security issue that everyone in my line of work has to take into consideration, because we cannot let these poisonous drugs continue to pour across our southern border and kill our children. So many people are dying from this, and it is a direct export from the PRC. So we have to recognize what they're doing. We need this to stop. It's why the another reason, I mean, there are so many, why the omnibus was shameful is it did nothing to secure the southern border, and that has to be a top priority. Absolutely. Victoria Coates, as always, so good to see you. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a Merry Christmas, and talk to you soon. Thank you, Joe. All right. Well, the latest from the Twitter files are out exposing the government once again. This time, the FBI, not the only ones involved, will reveal all of it after the break. Stick with us. You're watching Newsmax. We'll be right back. This country was made by tax rebels, freedom fighters, gold seekers, believers, lovers, and true patriots. We're Newsmax. And we're their heirs, and so are you. Newsmax TV, real news for real people. I mean, to be totally frank, um, almost every conspiracy theory that people had about Twitter turned out to be true. <laughs> so, <laughs> like if, is there a conspiracy theory about Twitter that didn't turn out to be true? Uh, so far, they've all turned out to be true. And if not, uh, more true than people thought. That's Elon Musk, the owner of Twitter, two days ago on the All In podcast when asked about the FBI and the Twitter files. He responded, of course, the FBI stuff is pretty intense. Now, the FBI released a statement on Wednesday about their relationship uh, with Twitter, to which the Bureau denied any wrongdoing and said uh, it's nothing but an example of the traditional government and private sector relationship. Quote, it is regrettable that conspiracy theorists and others are fueling misinformation in the American public for the sole purpose of attempting to discredit the agency. The statement concluded. Joining us now uh, to, to address all this, attorney and senior legal correspondent at The Federalist, uh, Margot Cleveland. Margot, thank you so much uh, for joining us. I mean, clearly, I didn't think anyone expected the FBI to say, you're right, you caught us. Uh, this is the same organization uh, that had an attorney 
uh, that was caught quite literally inventing evidence and then inserted that evidence uh, into an email for the purpose of getting a FISA warrant uh, to spy on the president of the United States. And then the attorney never spent a day in jail. Uh, and meanwhile, the FBI never seemed to acknowledge uh, that something was completely wrong. So par for the course, from my perspective, what do you say? Absolutely. And to me, what was appalling about this, as you said, you're not going to expect the FBI to come forward and say, yeah, you caught us. But they used the exact same language of misinformation that they used with the Hunter Biden laptop, which was real. And it was so damaging to the Biden family. But instead, the FBI came to Twitter, went to Facebook, you know, teed them up so that it would be censored. So absolutely appalling. But the, the part that's really funny about this is the FBI came out on Wednesday with this. What happened on Saturday? We had another Twitter file drop. And in this one, we had even Jim Baker, so the former FBI general counsel, saying, yeah, that's kind of odd that we have the Baltimore field office and FBI headquarters that are basically doing keyword searches to try to find violations of our policy and then sending it to us. So it was really ironic that Wednesday FBI comes out and says, oh, nothing to see here. And then what happens? The general counsel, the former general counsel of the FBI says, yeah, that's kind of odd. It's really strange. And I think for all of us, I mean, look, uh, people have been screaming about uh, freedom of speech. They've been talking about the First Amendment. They've talked about Elon Musk, whether he is the patron saint of free speech uh, or whether he is a wolf in sheep's clothing. From my perspective, none of that truly matters. And I think to Matt Taibbi's point, right, this is simply understanding the unnatural relationship between a private company that effectively told the entire world that, the world that they were going to be a platform forum where everyone could speak freely, but then also working behind the scenes to not only quell that speech, but then also give the government everything they needed to effectively go after those people with the full vested authority of the United States government. Absolutely. And you also had from the Twitter files coming out that the, the government was using it as a propaganda tool. And, you know, the thing here is we haven't had the discussion of what really should our government be doing with these social media outlets? What if they actually have legitimate evidence that we have foreign malignant influences coming in, malign influences coming in and doing something? Well, I think we should be having that discussion about where is crossing the line when the government is working with the social media. But the problem is we can't even have that discussion because the FBI so went over the line and just is acting like, oh, no big deal, nothing to see here, that we are just fighting for them to acknowledge what they did, which was interfere in the 2020 election. Well, look, I, I think for our perspective here... ...sensing levels of neurotransmitters in the brain and by restoring the natural sleep cycle. Neurotransmitters has been... ...exists in one place. Twitter's telling us a line exists in another space, only to come to find out that effectively they were both lying because there was no line. Then we have a real big problem here. In fact, the latest dump we had here uh, from Twitter, more proof of uh, some of the censorship that people were talking about, in this case regarding COVID. Uh, take a look. This is the email from uh, Jim Baker uh, about Trump's account... Uh, 
uh, Twitter Files 9.0 also reveals uh, a web of social media uh, surveillance uh, censorship, uh, not just by the FBI, but also uh, other agencies such as the CIA. Uh, look, we, we get into a web of complicated issues here anytime you say those three letters, C, the I, and the A, uh, for a multitude of reasons. They're not even really supposed to be operating uh, on the homeland, particularly as it relates uh, to U.S. citizens, uh, unless we have a whole type of extenuating circumstances. So I, I think for us here at home, what does this mean? Uh, it seems like a bunch of nothing until you really start peeling back the layers of this onion and realize that effectively uh, there was a Trojan horse organization that invited all the people across the countryside to join them and then turned over the keys to the ignition uh, to the FBI, the CIA and whatever other government agency came knocking on the front door. Absolutely. And I think here where Elon Musk is really doing a service is he's he's bringing some transparency there. And one of the things I'm, I'm trying to put together is an article about the First Amendment's not going to save us here. Whether they, the government has crossed the line to create this state action with Twitter is a very challenging question. So you, we just got to keep in mind, the First Amendment's not going to save us. What we need is some transparency to see what's going on. And we need the people working at these companies to stop looking at the government as yeah, they have the best interest of the public at heart, as opposed to maybe they have their own self-interest at heart. We saw that with COVID. We saw that with the Hunter Biden uh, censorship. So there's a huge issue here. And Elon Musk just bringing transparency is a huge boon for our country. Just quickly here before we go, uh, from a legal perspective, we remember with the Hunter Biden laptop, uh, the the tonnage of information that was suppressed. All of those people from the intelligence community that came forth effectively used the heft of the government and their association with these organizations to say that what occurred was not real. Uh, what are the ethical questions that we should be asking here? Are there legal questions that go along with that? But again, as we learn more and more, as we know that the laptop was real and the contents were not Russian disinformation, are there any actual legal implications for those who use their association with entities like the FBI and the CIA uh, to then effectively perpetuate a fraud upon the people of the United States of America? Right. I, I just don't see any legal ramifications coming from this. What we really do need, though, is a public ramification, that the public is so outraged by this. And, and let me be clear on what happened. Our FBI lied to get the censorship of a story that caused Joe Biden to win the 2020 election. We have studies that show, we have surveys that show if the public knew about this, they wouldn't have voted for Biden. So this is outrageous, but the legal process isn't going to fix it. What you need is ordinary Americans to be outraged by what the FBI did. All right, Margot, always good to see you. Thank you so much. Hope you had a blessed Christmas and look forward to talking soon. Thanks so much, Joe. You as well. All right. Well, 2023 is near, but we have some sad news heading into the new year. So I'll hold the champagne. I'll explain in a little bit. Stick with us. Happy New Year to all. There's nothing like starting the new year off with a recession 
Well, that's what researchers are predicting. The Center for Economics and Business says the world economy is headed for a recession in 2023. Now, this comes as a result of a rise in interest rates in response to higher inflation, which caused several economies to contract. If this weren't bad enough news. Uh, the research also claims inflation is here to stay, uh, despite reports claiming inflation is cooling off in America. We can still expect poor growth outlooks for a number of years to come. But wait, there's more. China also set to overtake the U.S. as the world's largest economy by 2036. Now, this may occur later if Beijing tries to take control of Taiwan. If so, this report says uh, this is what to expect. Quote, the consequences of economic warfare between China and the West could be several times more severe than what we have seen following Russia's attack on Ukraine. There would almost certainly be a sharp world recession and a resurgence of inflation. Uh, joining us now, business and market analyst Seth Denson. Seth, always good to see you, my friend. Well, uh, uh, turns out, uh, I thought the recession was already here, but now that the election is gone, uh, all the experts have finally agreed to what most people on Main Street already knew. Uh, the pain is here, and it's here to stay. Yeah, Joe. I mean, it's interesting to see what the spin doctors did to the information as we led up to the overall uh, election. But now that it's over, uh, we're hearing the reality of what we were talking about specifically here on Newsmax. But many of my colleagues and myself included that we are already in a recession. Uh, just some parts of the world, specifically here in the U.S., maybe have not realized it just yet. Absolutely. I mean, you talk about what's happened uh, here at home. I mean, I remember the uh, lost decade for those people over there in Japan. Uh, it seems as if uh, all the indicators are here for a similar type of recession as Democrats continue to print and print more money to overheat an overheated economy. Uh, and now uh, we are here to pay the piper. Uh, how do you see this playing out here as we just learned about the record levels of hardship withdrawals uh, from from those 401ks as Americans have quite simply run of the gas to sustain their credit-driven existence. Yeah, Joe, if you look at the last uh, quarter's growth, which again, Democrats pointed to as an economy that was growing and kept us out of recession, one of the primaries, if not the most primary driver of that growth was government spending. And so government spending in the short term will keep an economy out of recession, but what it will do is exacerbate inflation. And that's what we're seeing right now. The inflationary structure we're in now, and then just to clarify, inflation is too many dollars chasing too few things. What happened over the last 36 months. We shut down the economy and we pumped tons of money into it. What have we done now? We have not gotten the economy growing at the level it needs to, yet we continue to pump more money into it. So just like if you think about a car, if you pump that gas without igniting the ignition, what are you going to do? You're going to flood it. And that's exactly what we're seeing. Well, let's break this down for the folks at home, right? For our perspective, uh, COVID came. They told everyone to go home. People were going broke. They started effectively putting everything on their credit cards. Uh, we went from you not owning your house to you not owning your car to now the clothes on your back. You're buying them with microloans from Afterpay and uh, Klarna and all these random companies. Uh, it effectively seems as if uh, the rubber has met the road. Uh, the piper has to be paid. Uh, talk, us, talk to us a little bit about how everyday people on Main Street trying to buy groceries that cost more, uh, trying to buy gas that on average still costs more, uh, are really going to start to struggle here uh, with all the constriction that's going to start happening here in the job market as well. 
Yeah, well, a quick history lesson, Joe. We don't have to go all that far back. 1980, 81, 82, what we saw was record high inflation and a stalling economy. It's what we refer to in the economic world as stagflation, where the economy stagnates while inflation continues to grow. What happened was we saw interest rates reach 20 percent during that time period. You know, that coupled with the fact that our federal government continues to spend, I mean, good God, this omnis bill uh, was so full of pork, it made pig farmers jealous. And we continue to do that. What happens is it devalues the U.S. dollar. The benefit that the government or the that the U.S. citizen has had for century is the fact that the United States minted dollar had value. Unfortunately, if we continue to exacerbate our debt, what will happen is the value of that dollar will decline. That means that dollar is going to go less as far as it would. And so far, because U.S. net imports uh, exceed exports, that is going to create a disaster in our U.S. economy in the years to come. Well, absolutely. I think to that point, all of a sudden, congratulations, right? You might be making more money at your job. Uh, but you still buy less with the more money. And now on top of that, the economy gets to the point where it's so bad, those jobs have to start laying people off. Uh, it seems yep. like it could be an economic Armageddon uh, for people all across this country. Uh, from your perspective, what are things, if anything, people can do today to start preparing for the pain we know was already baked into this uh, unholy Biden economic cake? Yeah, so a couple of key things, Joe. First of all, the old saying, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? So start watching where your dollars are now. Watch where your investments are. Don't go chasing those things like cryptos right now. That's a bad, that's a fool's gold errands right there. So what you gotta do is focus on your cash flow. Try to eliminate as much of your voluntary, your volatile debt, credit card debt, things like that as you can. Uh, and, and focus on time horizon of your overall right. investments. Focus in, lock down, and be uh, diligent in where you're spending your money. This is not the time to go expand our expenses. Rather, it is to retract them, at least for the next 24 to 36 months. Absolutely, folks. The man with cash is king, and the man with cash and a better credit score uh, will actually make it through this downturn alive. Seth, always appreciate you, my friend. God bless. Hope you had a blessed Christmas. We'll talk soon. Good to see you, buddy. All right. Coming up, we have the aftermath of a horrible blizzard Christmas not going as planned for people all across this country. Uh, plummeting temperatures, deadly blizzards, violent crime, and leadership nowhere to be found. A whole lot of nothing on this Christmas for too many Americans. We'll talk about all of it after this break. Stick with us. All right. Well, many Americans still recovering from the recent blizzard that hit parts of our nation this Christmas weekend. Buffalo, New York, one of them marked this as their worst blizzard in 50 years. 26 uh, hitting stores, looting once again. Uh, a lack of leadership, certainly, to thank. We bring in an expert of all the things, uh, NYPD Commissioner, former NYPD Commissioner uh, Bernie Carrick. Good to see you, my friend. Thanks for coming on uh, tonight. Look, Kathy Hochul got on the television screen near you and started to blame climate change, uh, ignoring, of course, the fact that she didn't make the preparations to make sure there weren't lootings. She didn't make the preparations to ensure that after uh, all of the advance notice, we can make sure people didn't freeze to death in their homes. You know what, Joe, this is, you know, you, you called it when you said uh, a lack of leadership. Um, there is a lack of leadership at the state level. 
There's a lack of leadership at the city level, and there's a lack of leadership in a number of the states around the country where you see these major surges in crime. Um, in New York State, uh, the crisis management plans for the aftermath of a storm like this, they're pretty simple. They're all written out. All you have to do is designate who's going to go where and what they're going to do and when they're going to get there. Those plans and protocols and practices have been there for years. The bottom line is the governor failed to dispatch the appropriate people, send out the appropriate number of staff, and do the things that have to be done to ensure people's safety and security. Absolutely. I mean, people might not realize, but this week, uh, this past week in New York, we had uh, people effectively in Albany give themselves a $30,000 raise. Uh, people getting full-time pay for part-time work in our state legislature. And here we are, people uh, losing their lives uh, after a storm. We had practically zero preparation for this. Uh, how do we get the accountability we deserve if we can't convince the people to connect their pain? And in some cases, uh, they're the deaths of loved ones are with the people who quite literally fell down on the job. You know what happens, Joe, and I think we learned this back in 93 into 94 when Giuliani was elected uh, mayor of New York City. The people of New York City were sick and tired of the crime. They were sick and tired of the filth, um, the mismanagement of government, the corruption in New York City government. And eventually, regardless of what party they were in, they voted for an outsider, Rudy Giuliani, to come in to clean it up. Bottom line is, that's what's going to have to happen, happen here. Hochul just got reelected. I am confident she's not going to be able to do what she's supposed to do. Um, same thing for the mayor of New York City. This is a guy that made a bunch of promises to clean up New York City. And, uh, you know, he's completely failed so far. So I think eventually people will come to their senses and make change. But unfortunately, uh, they wait way too long until the, the city or states in demise, and, uh, and then they act. Absolutely. I mean, talking about the mayor, uh, he was actually AWOL. Uh, he had, we had storms here. We had a missing mayor poster here because nobody knew where the mayor was, except apparently the people who worked there. Uh, I'm trying to remind people, I've got, I've got a cell phone here. It's got Zoom on it. It's got Skype on it. Uh, apparently, technology failed him uh, when the people of New York City needed him the most. You know what, Joe? Uh, you know, I, I had the honor and the privilege to work for Giuliani. And even Mike Bloomberg that followed Giuliani, these were mayors that stood at the helm when there was a problem. Um, bottom line is, that's what has to happen. You need leaders that's going to stand up, dictate what has to happen, um, dispatch the appropriate people, and pull in those plans and protocols, those crisis management plans, to ensure that people are doing the job they're supposed to do. This mayor has been absent now. And he's been absent, uh, you know, ironically, for yeah. the last several months. Um, you know, when he's supposed to have been there uh, helping the city. Absolutely. We've got a migrant crisis on the border that's come to our front door here in New York. The fentanyl crisis that's been dragged along with it. Death in Buffalo, abandonment in New York City and all across this country. We need leadership. We need it today. Bernie Carrick, always my friend. God bless you. Hope you had a blessed Christmas. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Joe. Same to you. All right. Stick with us. We'll be right back.
That's all we have for you tonight. Thanks for watching Greg Kelly Reports. I'm Joe Pinion. Until next time, God bless. Keep the faith. And we'll see you all back here tomorrow.